In the continuum group of progressive ideology here in America, there's one group that has been constantly targeted over the years in order to push their agendas. That group is children. From abortion to cover lockdowns to the LGBTQ indoctrination of them, we children often sacrifice to basically the pagan gods of the left in order to make themselves feel comfortable. So in this episode, we discuss all of this, and we discuss also some practical solutions that parents can seek, especially Christian parents can seek, in order to come back to some nonsense and this madness. And then we need to continue our series on spiritual warfare in, in the topic of battle for the family. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is God of Freedom Show. The show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So if you always want to start a podcast but don't know where to begin, Anchor is for you. Anchor is very simple to use, and it is also free. All you do is simply record the audio from your phone to computer, laptop, or wherever, edit it, and then post it. You can monetize it with sponsorships or donation buttons, and you can distribute the sites like a podcast, Spotify, or web listen to podcasts. Check it out here on check it out on Anchor.fm or download the app. Again, it's Anchor.fm. Or download the app. Alright, so we are back. <laughs> I know it's been a little bit, just kind of been delayed in kind of scheduling recording this episode, but we are back here. And we have a lot to discuss in this episode because it is <laughs> just so much has been going on and so much to have just observing over the past couple weeks. It just it's crazy. And it's good this is gonna be kind of a heavy topic. I mean nothing too graphic nothing that's nothing so um nothing that's far beyond what i've discussed here before but it's gonna be pretty heavy because it does involve children and, and all that so just i just kind of prepare preparing y'all for this because what's been happening over the past few weeks is just it's really madness and not really just in the past few weeks just over the over the last years and decades that I just, I personally had just observed, come to realize uh, um, these past couple weeks. And just, I am just constantly reminded, especially with this, just how dark and evil this, our world is. I mean, scripture, it does not lie when it says that the, that the devil that Satan is basically the king of this world. <laughs> I mean, he, he he's basically the ruler of this world. N not over, like, <laughs> the broadscape of the world, like, he has authority over God. This world, I mean, God still has authority and is still sovereign and all that. But I'm talking about the world <laughs> in terms of systems, in terms of people and all that. Just, it's madness. It's, it's total and complete madness. And... It could be discouraging. That's that's where we as Christians need to realize, of course, God is still still sovereign, and He will still vanquish evil at the end. Now, I'll kind of allow, um, I'll go into that more a little later. But now is really so. Go ahead, let's go ahead and dive into this to this uh, topic. So, the topic at hand, as you could tell from the intro, is basically we're tackling. The topic of the war on children. 
And what I mean by that is basically a war, a cultural war on children that's been happening for years, years at this point. Anywhere from abortion, to, oh, sorry, to the COVID lockdowns that's been happening, to them being like sexualized and indoctrinated in this LGBTQ nonsense that's been spreading in multiple schools. I mean, children are pretty much on the are the main target of progressives of the left. And it's frightening to see. It's really frightening to see. I mean, you just could tell just with the signing of the Florida Parental Rights Bill signed by Governor DeSantis and just how the left is losing their minds over it. It's pretty sickening. So, we're going to be kind of diving into the topic. We're going to be going through kind of a, a, a few different points. Not just with the Florida Bill, but just... A few different points, a few different, a few different tactics that the left uses to pursue their war on children. So the first one we're going to be tackling is abortion. So y'all know if you've listened to this episode long uh, or this to the show long enough, y'all know that I am av- avidly, actually uh, pro-life. I hate abortion. I think it should be abolished. There's no reason to kill your child in the womb. None. There's really no real reason to kill your child or the womb. There's none. Even in cases of if the mother's life is a quote unquote in danger or their health is in danger, oftentimes or not, there's a way to safely deliver the baby without killing the mother and still be able to help her. I mean, sorry, abortion is just simply is not a solution to anything. It is an evil, evil, evil thing that happens. I mean, babies and abortion, abortion extremely graphic. It's extremely graphic. And I showed the video on the show before about it. And it basically... And a lot of abortions, especially the second trimester abortions, the babies are ripped apart, their brains are sucked out, and all that. It's, it's horrible. And the vast majority of times, abortions are done for the sake of convenience. Because these the mother, mothers don't want to have the child right now. They don't feel like being a mother, so they rather kill the child and then pursue the career in order to pursue the, their career and their dreams and all that. I mean, abortion is basically, it's essentially a modern form of pagan child sacrifice. Because, I mean, way back when, in ancient times, pretty much, pagans would often sacrifice children in order to receive wealth. They'll sacrifice them to their gods, aka demons, in order they, in order for them to receive wealth. This is exactly what's happening here <laughs> with abortion. Now, a lot of times, you know, they're not literally sacrificing them to demons, but they are killing them off and give them up in order to receive more wealth and to pursue their dreams and their happiness and all that. It's it's truly disgusting. It's truly 
<laughs> truly disgusting. And what's really more disgusting than that, I know, uh, what could be more disgusting than actual abortion? I mean, there's really nothing more disgusting than abortion. I think abortion is far more worse than slavery, even. <laughs> but one thing that really disgusts me, that really disgusts me a lot, is that where Christians try to find middle ground and try to nuance this issue of abortion. They try to say, well, I mean, I'm personally pro-life, but I'm not going to let it with my politics and all that. I just, I'm going to keep my faith to myself and all that. That's just, I'm sorry, that's just cowardly, and there should be no reason for that. I mean, how can you call yourself pro-life, a pro-life Christian, and still vote for people who are okay with abortion. I mean, there's this, for the 2020 election, there was this whole broad movement with evangelicals supporting Biden. There are quote-unquote pro-life evangelicals for Biden. Even though Biden is adequately and has said that he supports abortion up to the point of birth, and even beyond the point of birth. So, I'm sorry, Christians should have no... No, have no reason to vote for politicians or support anyone who supports abortion. It simply is it. Abortion is murder. It is absolute murder. We should not be. We should not be nuanced on that issue. We should not be sticking middle ground on the issue. We should not be just kind of compromising that issue. We should not be just giving up. It's not something we should. It's not just some political issue we could brush aside. This is the murder of children right here. That's what it is. That's what abortion is. This is the murder of babies. There should be no reason why we're brushing that to the side. But unfortunately, it's happening. It is happening. And that's one of the reasons why abortion is so just kind of a mainstream kind of hotbed issue. Because conservatives, especially conservative Christians, have given up that ground over the years. Now, thankfully, the pro-life movement is growing. It is Ultimately winning, I think it's going to ultimately win, <laughs> but it's still really frustrating to see conservative Christians giving up that ground to make appeal to folks on the left. It's truly disgusting, in my opinion. And kind of related to abortion, um, and so there's a story that came out um, this past week that it's really, really horrible. So this happened in Washington, D.C. And basically, there were five infant babies, pre-born babies, some of them probably already born, who were discovered, I think, in an apartment in Washington, D.C. And, I mean, so the person who broke the story was a lady named Lila Rose. She's the head of... Uh, Live action, which is a pro-life organization. It's a really solid pro-life organization. I, I really encourage y'all to follow follow them because they do a lot of great work. And so she broke the story. And she posted, posted, also posted pictures of these babies right here. And it is, it is gut-wrenching. It's really gut-wrenching. I'm not going to share it on the show. But I will actually link, put a link to this tweet um, in the description below in the video in the podcast uh, um episode, just so if y'all want to, you can 
you can look at it. You can look at these pictures and kind of see what Lila, Lila Rose is talking about. And as Warren, it is it is really graphic stuff. And I saw like a lot of people saying, "Why would you post this? Is so graphic. Why would you post this?" Yes, it is extremely, extremely graphic. But that is a reason why it should be shared because, from the looks of these pictures, they were killed in an abortion, in a botched abortion. Some of them were done um, killed in the womb. From the looks of it. Because there's one picture of baby that's ripped apart in the classic, you know, abortion uh, kind of way they do do things. So, yeah, there are a few like that, but some who, they were born alive or partially born, like the head was coming out and then they killed baby as, as it was being birthed. Because these are, a lot of these are almost full-grown babies, full-grown babies, and they were... And they were killed in abortion. It's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But this is a reality of abortion right here. This is a reality that that happens. Abortion is extremely graphic. And that's why I think it's a good thing to see these pictures, to see videos on what happens in abortion so people can be informed of what happens in these scenarios. Abortion is not just some surgery. It is a horrific murder. That's what it is. And so, um, all five of the babies are now in the custody of the D.C. police in the D.C. Uh, corner. And for some reason, they have refused to do an autopsy on them to see like how exactly they died. Which is very strange to me. I don't know why. Um, part of me think there's some political reason. Basically, if they say, um, if they if it comes out saying they were in fact killed in abortion, that will really hurt the pro-abortion lobby. So they don't they don't want to, I guess, get that um backlash or whatever, which is pretty sickening. I mean, I don't really get it, but whatever reason they have refused. To do an autopsy on these uh, babies right here. And also, again, a, a few of these babies were probably born alive and then killed. Actually, there's one baby who was uh, completely born and then was apparently drowned. Drowned in some kind of solution in order to kill it. Um, These are, these are crimes. I mean, abortion should be a crime overall. But significant... Um, Specific scenarios here are federal crimes. <laughs> and it should be investigated. And it should be all over the news. But the media has largely ignored the story and have been instead of focusing on the folks who brought the story. The folks who brought the story are, according to me, are the real bad guys because they <laughs> broke into the department or whatever <laughs> nonsense they're spewing. But that's not the real story. The real story is that five babies were born, and lot, probably all of them were killed in a, in an abortion, in attempt abortions. This is real. This is the reality of the entire abortion topic. Right? This is the reality that happens. Abortion is the greatest human rights catastrophe in history.
and people are largely ignoring it. Unfortunately, abortion is like seen as just some kind of just another political issue that really we should not be getting advice over or whatever. It's not it's not a political issue. It should not be a political issue. This is a human rights violation. Babies are being killed every single day. Every single day, thousands upon thousands of babies are being killed. And we're from the first trimester into the late, late term. I'm, I know the last like to say, well, no, late term abortions don't, don't, don't happen or all that. No, it does happen. 10,000 late term abortions happen every single year. 10,000. <laughs> that is a lot. That is way too many. And... There's really no medical reason why you should be aborting a baby in the third trimester. Even for quote-unquote health reasons. Because either way, the mother has to give birth to the baby. So if she has to give birth to the baby, what's the point of killing it? There's no point of killing it. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But this is just one of the main fronts of the war on children that happens, that basically babies are seen as not entities to the left, they're just, they're not people, and they're not really pe people, they're just, just a clump of cells or whatever, they're just, they're nothing, they, they have no value or whatever. That's the way the left views babies. And that's how, the, that's how they view children overall, as we'll see in the next few, to in the next couple of topics. And so, the next topic we're going to tackle here is the COVID lockdowns. So, the COVID lockdowns, again, if y'all have listened to the, um, to the show long enough, you'll know that I was pretty much against the COVID lockdowns from the beginning of the pandemic. And there's been a lot of damage done as a result of this government overreach in the lockdowns. And it's it's truly horrific. And that just broadly speaking right there. But especially the damage that's been done to children is really, really horrible. So I'll get to that here in just a little bit. But first you gotta go for to YouTube or the God of Rainbow to check it out. So not only get the rest of this episode regarding the war on children and all that, but also the spiritual warfare um, part three, and also the good stuff and bad of the week. And remember, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever listen to podcasts. Otherwise, i see you next week. This is the God of Freedom Show. All right, let's get to new one right here. So again, um, a lot of horrible damage was done as a result of the uh, COVID lockdowns. Not only just uh, economically dam economic damage, but also like mentally and spiritual damage that was done, especially on children. So if you're called during the lockdowns, schools were forced to shut down all over the country. And for schools that did eventually go back um, back up, they were all forced to mask up, 
and stayed distance from each other. Now they were not allowed to talk to their friends or play with each other and all that. It's it was madness. It's truly it's true madness. And there was no reason for it. No reason for it whatsoever because it took COVID. Not only was it not particularly damaged or dangerous for the vast majority of people, but especially it was not dangerous at all for children. Even the original strand. The original strand was not dangerous at all for children whatsoever. So there's no reason whatsoever that schools should have been shut down or that they should have been masked up or forced to distance from each other and couldn't talk to one another. That was ridiculous. And as a result of all that, as a result, children, I mean, sorry, depression rate, depression and suicide rates have gone up. Because when you take a kid, because during these times when their kids are in school, this is when they're growing the most, growing physically, mentally, spiritually, and all that. To take them from their environment suddenly and to force them to isolate, to talk, and they can't talk to no one, they can't hang out with their friends or whatever, that can do a lot of damage mentally to them, mentally and spiritually. And it has. Again, depression rates have gone up dramatically, suicide rates have gone up dramatically. And it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible what's been done to children during the course of the pandemic. And even now, even now, after the pandemic is over, the pandemic is over. It is over. Yes, we still have cases going up and down, whatever. But that's going to be the case until Jesus comes back. COVID is always going to be with us because it's just another common cold. That's all it is. That's all COVID was. Just another version of the common cold or the flu. That's all it was. And, but even today, children are being forced to mask up. It was truly disgusting is when parents are forcing their children to mask up and the parents aren't. Which makes no sense. Children are not at risk. Of getting it. And I know they'll say, well, my child is not vaccinated, they can't be vaccinated, so that's why they're masking. Well, guess what? The vaccine does not is not effective. The vaccine does not work. It does not permit transmission. It barely really helps against infection or hospitalization or death. So and also children are not at risk from this thing. So what What's the point of that? It makes no sense. No whatsoever. And the real reason why children are still being masked particularly is to make adults feel safe. To make themselves feel safe. It's all about feelings. It's all about feelings for progressives. Whatever makes them feel comfortable, they they do. They force everyone, anyone to, to comply with some certain scenario to make themselves feel comfortable. And whatever makes them feel feel uncomfortable, they ban. <laughs> and so basically children, the well being of children are being is being sacrificed for the comfort of adults. That's what's happening here. That's what's been happening over the past couple of years. It is truly 
<laughs> truly disgusting. And this is going to have a lot of damage <laughs> in the long term. Not just with suicide rates and depression, but also develop, development. Children, especially like, very, like, very young, four or five years old, even younger, <laughs> and uh, one of the ways they develop their minds and of is listening to people speak and particularly seeing their mouths move and seeing kind of learning how to pronounce certain words and how to read and how and all that how to speak properly you can't really tell or learn how to speak properly if that, per, that teacher is wearing a mask and if a teacher's wearing a mask, you can't tell how their mouths are moving, you know, how they're pronouncing or pronouncing certain words or whatever. So that's going to have a lot of longer-term damage in development in the near future. Which is truly, again, it's truly disgusting because no, there was no reason for it. This, this is the most unnecessary unnecessary thing that has happened ever, pretty much, in the history in my lifetime. This is the most unnecessary thing that has happened. And people are just kind of brushing it aside as if it doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. <laughs> it really does. I mean, ugh, this is why I will not when I have kids in the future, that's why I would not have <laughs> send the public, I will not send the public school not only because of this nonsense, because of other nonsense, because just the public school system is just rotten to the core and there's no salvage in it whatsoever. So it's either homeschooling or private school. That's only two options for, for the, my future kids right there. But again, with uh, going back to the COVID lockdowns, it just, I just don't, I just don't get it. And the people who were responsible for doing this to kids are not going to be held accountable. They're not going to be held accountable for closing schools or forcing kids to math. Kids to math. They're just going to be left, left off the hook. Well, they shouldn't be. They should not be left off the hook. They should, especially politicians should, should, um, politicians should lose their seats. They should be voted out. And there's been some cases where they could face a criminal... Uh, you know, criminal charges. I don't see that happening. I don't see any particular evidence of, of criminal charges that was, that be needed. But either way, they need to be held accountable for what they have done to kids over the past couple of years with these lockdowns, with these restrictions, because it's truly disgusting. They have done, they have done a serious amount of damage. To kids and to society more broadly, and and they feel no remorse over it because all they care about is power. That's all they care about is getting power and money, and just and making themselves feel good. That's all they care about. They don't care about you. They don't care about your children, even if they say they do. They don't care about your children, parents. They simply do not. So why should you be getting their advice when the well-being of, of your children is not in their minds? Well, the only thing, the only thing is that it is in their minds is to make themselves happy, make themselves 
feel comfortable and to get them more power and more money. That's all these politicians care about right here. All right, so now going on to the next kind of tactic that the left uses. This is really some truly disgusting stuff. So in the last episode, I just kind of opened up with this kind of line of thing right here, how you know sexual sexual immorality has basically become the norm in our society, especially among the left. But there's different forms of that. There's been, of course, pornography is a big one. It's basically seen as a norm. And in society, you're seen as a prude if you don't look at porn or whatever. And uh, homosexuality is now seen as a great immoral thing when it's actually not. It is an abomination to God. To God, it is a sin, and also transgenderism is seen as a great norm, and all that. And so, which leads us into kind of the LGBTQ community. And so, this what this community is doing right now, their tattoos they're doing right now, is that they want to disciple. To basically disciple people. The LGBTQ community is is basically just a pagan religion. That's all it is. That's pretty much what it is. And they want to disciple disciple people, especially children, in their ideology. (laughs) And we can see that just with how the the left is reacting to the Florida parental rights bill. I discussed that link uh, last episode, so you can go. It's episode 115. Um, but again, the uh, Project Rights Bill just highlights, you know, certain things that the parents have the right to know what's going on with the children at school, whatever mental problems they face or whatever. They have the right to know, know that stuff. And basically, teachers are not allowed to teach, to instruct students on this gender theory or LGBTQ ideology. That's what the bill says. And the left is freaking out over it. They're freaking out. Because they want to disciple kids in its ideology to bring them into the fold, to bring these children into the fold, to grow their religion. It's truly, it's truly disgusting stuff. It's really weird and disgusting. And... Not only is the left kind of political left behind us, but also the culture left. The culturally big corporations are behind us, especially one particular corporation that is Disney. Disney is a big supporter of this, of sorry, not supporter of the bill, but very against this bill. They are against this bill for whatever reason. They support the idea that children should be learning about the LGBTQ ideology when they shouldn't be. They should not be learning about this stuff, especially young kids, kindergarten, or third grade. They should not be learning that stuff. No one should actually learn about this stuff at all. I just that it's my opinion right there. But again, Disney has come out forcibly against this. And they have said that they will combat this by putting more 
quote-unquote LGBTQ characters into the stories, into the movies, and all that. So, yeah, that's where Zola does it right now. <laughs> that's where they're at. And so, I'm not saying that parents should boycott Disney, but you should definitely be discerning of what your kids watch. Especially the, more of the newer Disney stuff, because older Disney stuff is awesome. <laughs> but the newer Disney stuff is really, really filled <laughs> with, with that stuff. And you gotta be discerning of where you put your money. I mean, pre me personally, I mean, <laughs> as much as I hate it, I did cancel my Disney Plus. Because I just cannot financially support this company right now. It, it, it really sucks because I was looking forward to certain shows coming out in the future. But, <laughs> I'm sorry, it just, I couldn't in good conscience support them any longer, financially at least. And so, but that's up to the parents overall and people overall to really make that decision yourself. That is a, that's a pure conscience, Romans 14 decision. I'm not going to hold that. We should not be holding that against anyone who doesn't want to cancel Disney Plus or whatever. So it is a pure conscience decision right there. It's just, that is my take on it. But, again, me personally, I just cannot support them right now. And just with the way the left is reacting to this bill, it just I just don't understand why is there this this weird obsession on wanting to teach kids about this stuff, teach their kids about gender theory, transgenderism, homosexuality? What? Why are we? Why is the left so obsessed of wanting to teach children about this stuff? It just, it makes no sense to me. You really should not be learning about this stuff at just, at all. But it just, it just makes no sense to me why they want kids to know this stuff. The only way it makes sense is, is due to the fact that, A, it is a religion and they want to grow their numbers, and B, with the LGBT kind of ideology, there's kind of a link between especially transgenderism and pedophilia. This is kind of the aspect of wanting to this weird pedophilic idea of wanting to sexualize children in these scenarios. And look here, just give it a few years. I guarantee, I guarantee that pedophilia is, it will be normalized. It will be normalized in society. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but I think more than likely it will happen. And that's going to be some very dark days ahead when that time comes. Which, so this also leads us into kind of the Senate confirmation hearings of a Supreme Court justice that has been going on uh, over the past couple of weeks. So this lady named uh, Kadenji Brown-Jackson, who was nominated by President Biden to be the next, be to take uh, a seat on the Supreme Court. And, you know, with the Supreme Court, you know, when the president nominates them, they have to go through 
a bunch of Senate hearings to as part of the constitutional duty of the of the Senate to advise a consent on judges and all that. And so during the course of these hearings, you know, of course, the senators kind of press on certain issues as the the judge certain kind of issues on certain topics and all that. And so during the course of these hearings, there was one particular thing that 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 came up that's really kind of disturbing honestly and that was the fact that when uh kbg kbj to kind of just keep it um kind of short kbj she was a judge and it's on her record that she was giving out light sentencing to child sex abusers to people who consume child, por- child pornography and, and all that. People were pretty much let off the hook and not really let th- or were given very light sentences uh, below the federal guidelines for sentences of these crimes. Even for a guy who, for this one horrific story right here, of the rape of an infant, of an infant, a baby, was sexually abused and assaulted by a guy, and that guy was given a light sentence. How disgusting is that? And this judge, she gave them a just a just a light sentence, kind of gave him a slap on the wrist, pat on the back, or whatever. That that this kind of behavior, this kind of crime right here, deserves at the very least, at the very least, a life in prison. Ten years, that's kind of minimum. That is way too little for child sex abusers. That's way too little. This should be life of prison or even put to death. That's my opinion. That should be really put to death or at the very least, life in prison. Because these are truly, truly disgusting, disgusting crimes right here. And... Not only that, she's very, she supports, she supports abortion, and she doesn't even know what a woman is. She was asked, you know, what is a woman? And she says, I don't know, I'm not a bi- biologist. Like, come on, come on. And one that's really annoying me, because, you know, she, what she did end up being confirmed, as expected, <laughs> with some Republicans joining in to voting for her for whatever reason. Especially like Romney, Lisa Matowski in Alaska. Both of them should lose their Senate seats when the election comes up. Just saying. And what's really weird is that these, the, there are these kind of elite evangelical professing Christians like David French and kind of those guys of the Gospel Coalition who are kind of applauding and congratulating KBJ of being um of being affirmed to the Supreme Court. I'm sorry, I'm I I just cannot. I don't care if she's black or not. I cannot support anyone who supports abortion, who doesn't even know what a woman is, and who gave light light sentences to child sex abusers. I just cannot support that. I don't know 
there should be no reason why any Christian should be, any true Christian should be putting their support or even celebrating this confirmation. It's going to be doing a lot of damage in the near future. Thankfully, this does not, this does not tip the balance of the court because she was filling in of someone who, their name escapes me right now, but the guy who left, who retired, was a leftist on the court, so it's not really tip of the balance in any sort of way. But this is the kind of people that Biden wants to nominate to the court. So we should not be in any way be happy about that. We should not be congratulating her or celebrating this. It's just nothing for Christians to celebrate in this manner. Nothing. I don't care if she's black or not. I couldn't care less about her skin color. I couldn't care less. If, I don't care if she was white. I would be saying the same thing. If she was green or or Asian, I'll be saying the exact same thing I'm saying now. I don't care about a bear. I don't really care about her skin color. Skin color does not matter to me. It's, it means skin color is just the amount of melanin in your skin. That's all it is. <laughs> I couldn't care less about it. But the light has made this made made skin color the height of your identity for whatever reason. Your identity should not be placed in what you look like in in your skin color. But that's a whole nother topic. And it's one of little right there. <clears throat> but just from the on look of this, just from looking onto this um scenario, just Looking look on to the broad scape of all this, it is very, very clear that the left hates children. The left hates children. They do not like children, and they're perfectly okay to sacrificing, sacrificing their well-being, even their very lives, to push their agenda and to make themselves feel more comfortable, to make themselves happy, to gain more power and money, and all that, that's what they care about. They don't care about children whatsoever. And I'm not talking about every single liberal leftist, I'm pretty sure the main liberals out there who are pretty good parents who love their children, but I'm talking about the broad, the broad left. The left, the leftist ideology, the progressive movement, they do not like children. They hate children. That's very clear from all the stuff they support, they support abortion, they support this LGBTQ nonsense, they support the lockdowns of children during the pandemic. So this this is the reality right here. This is the absolute reality. And I'm not going to turn my focus to Christians right now. Because there's many Christians over the years who have tried, who have tried to nuance these issues, who have tried to find middle ground on these issues in order to make appeal to those on the left to quote unquote to love my neighbor that I mean the love your the love my neighbor thing has really been abused but first off that's not even the greatest commandment that Jesus gives I, I mean actually the greatest I mean that is the second greatest commandment I'm not saying this there's anything wrong with love your neighbor that is a a commandment that God gives. But that right there is not the greatest commandment. 
In reality, here's actually the greatest command that Jesus gives. This is in Matthew chapter 22. Um, gets started from verse. Uh, start from verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, "Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law?" And he said to them, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your all your mind." This is the great and foremost commandment. The second one is like is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of these commandments, on these commandments, depend the whole law and the prophets. So, my point in reading it is that oftentimes the love your neighbor stuff is often put above love God with all your whole, with all your soul, heart, and mind. When it shouldn't be, you should be loving God first, especially. For Christians, you should be loving God first, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. <laughs> that is your number one priority. And then, you transfer that, that obedience to God. Okay, so loving God means being obedient to Him, obedient to His Word, His commandments. And then you transfer that into loving your, loving your neighbor. And this is God's definition of love, not our definition. This is God's definition of love. And that means um, part of loving your neighbor is speaking truth. There's nothing loving about compromising on a certain issue, compromising on a sin, or lying about sin. There's, not, there's nothing loving about that whatsoever. But Christians have overall have tried to nuance all these issues. Have tried to nuance abortion. Have tried to nuance um, LGBTQ stuff, especially against children. They have really tried to nuance these issues. And there's nothing... There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground whatsoever on these issues. There's no middle ground with abortion. There's no middle ground with indoctrinating children in LGBTQ nonsense. And there's no middle ground in the sexual, sexual sexualization of children. There's no nuance to be had with... Sorry. With any of these issues... None. I'm sorry if that makes seems a little harsh and that's, you know, that's violates the 11th commandment, that shall be nice or whatever. I'm sorry, but this is the truth. There's no middle ground on these issues. Especially these issues. Abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. We should not be compromising on that whatsoever. Why in the world are we trying to compromise and find middle ground on that. Why in the world are we trying to find middle ground on the indoctrination of children with sinful behavior? They're being indoctrinated into sinful behavior. How can Christians find middle ground on that? And also find a middle ground on the sexualization of children. <laughs> I mean, that is just, that is mind-boggling. That is absolutely mind-boggling. Again, there's no nuance, no megan to be had here. You can cry all you want, you could give me, you can, the tone police can come give me all you want, but this is the truth, this is the truth right here. We should not be wavering on these issues, we should be speaking the truth boldly in these issues. And so, what do we do about it? What do we do about this, about this issue of the war on children right now? Well, one particular reason is that 
this is for Christian parents and also prospective Christian parents or Christians who want to be parents too is to disciple your children in Christ. Um, this is the great commission that God gives us in Matthew uh, chapter 28. Let's go to that real quick. Matthew uh, uh, chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to be to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Christians are commanded by Christ to make disciples of all nations. And that includes children. That includes your kids. Parent, the, so parents, your number one mission field should be your children. You should be discipling your children in Christ. And no, but I know the cool hip thing to do today is, well, let them be themselves. Let them find the answers on their own or whatever. No, because they're gonna. They're, you have two options. Two things are gonna happen. Your children are gonna be discipled in Christ. Or they're going to be discipled by the world. So those are your two options, Christians. Do you want your children to be discipled in Christ and become a faithful follower of him? Or do you want them to be to reject him, ultimately, and go follow the world? Those are your two options. And if you want... If you want to see your children in um, in eternity, then you should probably go with the first option. Um, that's just my opinion. You should probably go with the first option to if you want to see your children in eternity. In eternity, ultimately. Now, of course, that is ultimately up to God because He is the one that saves. He is the one that predestined those and chose those to be saved before the foundation of the world. But that does not negate our duty to disciple. Disciple, disciple people. It does not get, negate our duty just to share the gospel because God often uses, the, uses those instances to draw his elect to himself. So this, that should not be an excuse for parents to negate their duty to disciple their kids. And also a way to really kind of combat this is for pastors to boldly speak the truth of the word of God. <laughs> Give us some men in the pulpits who know the truth of the word of God. Do not compromise the truth. Stop compromising sin. Stop giving in to what the world says about sin. Stop lying about sin. Boldly speak the truth of the word of God. Because, again, the word, scripture, all scripture... Is the word of God as it says in Second Timothy chapter chapter three verse sixteen. Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen to seventeen. All scripture inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Again, so that word inspired 
can also be translated to uh, breathed out. So all scripture is breathed out from Genesis to Revelation. It's all breathed out by God. So we should not be, we should not be compromising this truth. We should not be kind of cherry picking little things from from here. Pastors and people for all should be boldly. Pastors should be boldly preaching this word. They should be boldly speaking the truth and stop compromising it. And yes, I mean, <laughs> this can be scary stuff. This can be really, really discomfort and just very uncomfortable, very scary stuff. But also, we can also, as Christians, we can rest in the comfort that God will one day wipe out all all this evil, all this evil we're seeing will one day be wiped out by God. And all things will be made new. Heaven and earth will be made new. And it will be fully restored to God's original created order. Probably even better than what the original was created to be. As it says in Second Peter 3.13. Second Peter three thirteen, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is what we as Christians are to look to. That's what we as Christians are looking forward to coming to an eternity. So yes, it is very scary times, but we should not be wavering in the truth. We should not be kind of um, cowering away. We should be bold. We should be courageous. And regardless of the consequences that we may face in, in speaking this truth boldly. Because either way, again, the world hates us no matter what because of Jesus. By the way, this evil will wipe out doubt and Jesus will win in the end. God will win at the end and Satan and his minions will lose and we will be wiped out for all eternity. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. But anyways, now let's move on into part three of our series on spiritual warfare. Hey guys, welcome to part three of our series on spiritual warfare. And so, the last uh, couple parts we have done on the series has been more focused on the eternal battles that we face. Uh, part one was on sin, the battle of sin that we face on a daily daily basis and the last time part two we did um we tackled the battle for the mind and how the kind of different tactics the enemy uses to attack our minds to bring us down and all that you know like anxiety fear depression and all that distraction so that's kind of that's kind of the the main parts of the eternal battles we face the eternal attacks we face from the enemy and the broad spiritual warfare. So now we're going to move on into the external uh, battles. And so the first type we're going to be tackling is family, the battle for the family. And so it's very clear. I mean, if you're, if you um, are listening to the entire episode, 
you know, I, I just kind of tackled the war on children that's been happening in society and all that. <laughs> and so this topic I'm doing now, actually, it does relate because it, because the war on children ultimately affects the family unit. Because the family unit, the biblical family, is under attack in our society. It's very, it's very, <laughs> very clear. Is constantly under attack. People hate it. People want to see it dismantled, and all that. So before we get into the tactics that Satan uses, the world uses to dare to dare to tear down the family unit, we should really kind of define and break down what is the biblical family unit. And so we're going to be first starting with marriage. And so, for a godly, biblical marriage, and God is very clear on this, very clear, a godly, biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. And when I say a man and a woman, I mean a biological male and a biological woman, a, bi a biological female. Uh, it's sad to have to say that, because people... Get confused about that, but a man marriage is between a man and a woman. God lays out lays that out very clearly here in in the scripture. So first, let's go to open up to Genesis chapter two, starting from verse eighteen. So again, Genesis chapter two, starting from verse eighteen. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and to whatever the man called the living creature that was his name. The man gave names to all the, all the cattle all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not one, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took took one of his ribs and, and closed up the flesh in, at the place. The Lord God had fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought, <clears throat> sorry, and brought her to, brought her to the man. And the man said, this now is, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of out of man. For this reason, man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. <clears throat> and now, as I should go to uh, Matthew chapter nineteen, start start from verse one. again. <clears throat> Sorry. Matthew chapter 19, start from verse 1. When Jesus had um, finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. 
and large crowds, crowds followed him, and um, he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, asking, is it, law, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, beginning made them uh, male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become uh, one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So it's very clear, very clear from Scripture right here that the biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. So that means, of course, as it says in Leviticus and all throughout Scripture, that homosexuality, I don't even consider it a marriage, but homosexuality is, in fact, a sin. It's tough behavior. And for those who say, well, Jesus never said anything about, you know, homosexuality, so it's really a sin. Yes, it is. Because for one, <laughs> Jesus is God, so he's not going to contradict himself <laughs> here. He's simply, he, he doesn't, and he can't, and that's not his nature. And for one, he makes it very clear that, here in Matthew 19, that, it is between a man and a woman. That's very, very clear. <clears throat> and so, so now that we got kind of the biblical, what a biblical marriage is, now we go to the kind of the guidelines for a biblical marriage. So first one we're going to tackle is divorce. We're going to stand on chapter 19, Matthew right here. So we're I mean, I'm starting from where we'll adopt in verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman <clears throat> commits adultery. And so that right there is kind of the only reason that you <clears throat> that a couple should be divorced in case of adultery. Now, I know people say, what about abuse, what about spousal abuse? Of course, and that's not really highlighted in Scripture as a reason to be divorced. <clears throat> but for one, God's not stupid, because he, he, he obviously understands if a wife is being abused, she has every reason to leave her husband and divorce. She has every reason. And two, even though it even though scripture doesn't say anything about uh, abuse being a a just fire uh, being just fired for doing a divorce, um, <clears throat> scripture does lay out um kind of the guidelines and how a marriage is supposed to be and how. A husband and a wife is supposed to treat each other, and so, and we'll get we'll get to that here just a little bit. But so, but if a husband or even a wife violates those bounds, then it is justified to it is justified to divorce each other. So, if in the case of a man is abusing his wife, she has every reason, and she is justified to divorce him. So, make that very clear right here. And so, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, start from verse 22. 
So this right here, I'm in chapter five. Um, so again, chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, start from verse twenty-two. This passage is really a great kind of guideline and guide. <laughs> Sorry, can't really speak clearly for some reason. It's a really great guideline to how a marriage, a biblical marriage, is supposed to be. So again, we started from verse twenty-two. Wives, be subject to your husband, to your own husband, husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also also the wives ought to be also ought to be um to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and gave him this up up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having um cleansed her by the washing of water with this with the word that he might pre- present himself to the put it put oh my god sorry let me start over that he might present to himself the church in all her all her glory have no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies and he loves his own wife love himself for no one for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as, also, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave, leave his father and mother, and, and, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see it to see to it that he that she respects her husband. So that right there, it's very clear, very clear guideline how a biblical marriage is supposed to be. You know, a wife is supposed to be subject and submission to her husband as she is a submission submission herself to Christ. And husband is supposed to love his wife as he as Christ loves the church. Here, so that's a very very clear guidelines in how a biblical marriage is supposed to be. And that gets a lot of hatred today's society. But it works. It, it works if it's done properly. Um, it's, it's, that's simply the, the case right there. I mean, of course, people are not going to be perfect at it. So I'm not saying any sort of little mistake that you should be divorcing your husband or wife, whatever. But if they clearly go against God's word are not really obeying him in any way and are abusing you and are also <laughs> cheating on you and adultery, then, you know, that that is, that is subject to divorce right there. That is very, <clears throat> that's very subtle right there. And so, uh, get my nose right here. So that right there is how a biblical marriage is supposed to be operated and all that. So now we go to another aspect of marriage, sort of, but it's still kind of another thing that is children. So children obviously are the product of marriage most of the time. That's how that's how it should be. Because I mean, of course, the bond of sex is supposed to be between a uh in into con in the confines of marriage. That's how God created it. And sex, sex, sex is for the procreation of children. 
And so, so to start off, we need to see, like, see how God sees children. And it's very obvious from scripture that children are image bearers of God from conception. So let's first go to Psalm uh, 139, start from verse 13. Okay, so again, Psalm 139, starting from verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, and you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of, depth of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, in your, in your book were all, all written the days that were ordained for me. When as, when as yet there was not one, there was not one of them. How precious are, how precious also are, are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of some of them. If I, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. And so, that is Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18. That's just very clear that God sees, you know, children as a, as a great thing. They are image bearers of God. He, I mean, their life begins exception. That's very clear right there. So now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. So Jeremiah chapter 1, start from verse 5 right here. Before I formed you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I I consecrated you. I have a anyway, so, so yeah, that is again. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. So very clear that again, life begins at conception, that children are made in the image of God. That's very, very clear. And they're also a blessing, as it says in Psalm 127. Let's go, let's go there real quick. So Psalm 127... Verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So children are a blessing from the Lord. So this is why abortion is so egregious, because, again, 
the lie begins at conception, and they're a blessing from the Lord. And with abortion, they're being murdered. An image bearer God is being murdered. That's why Christians should not be nuanced in it. That's why Christians should not be supported in any sort of way. It makes no sense for Christians to support abortion. It makes no sense whatsoever. And so, now let's go back to Ephesians. And so we're going to be up in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 9. And this is kind of the how parents, especially fathers, should be treating their children and how children should be obeying their parents and, and their fathers and all that. So it's going to start again from Ephesians chapter 6, start from verse 1. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you. And that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with, uh, to flesh with fear and trembling, in the uh, sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way um, I I service as um. Men pleases, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening and knowing, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and is no partiality with him. So kind of, you know, going to more the earlier part of the passage is kind of just give you guidelines and how fathers should be treating, you know, the children. They should be bringing them up in the, in God's word and God's law and all that. And how children should be obeying their parents and how, you know, honoring the father and mother. So that right there is the biblical family unit. And that's how it should operate. That's how God created the beat. Unfortunately, this world that we live in hates the family unit. Satan hates the family unit, and they want to see it completely destroyed. And that is very clear just from what we see in culture right now, and it's from the tactics that Satan uses to attack the family. So we're going to be going through a couple, a few different tactics from each, from Satan, and also the world. For Satan, um, some tactics he uses, um, for one, is like kind of fighting and not just like kind of fighting for just kind of arguing, arguing over certain things or debating certain things, but also kind of just um, another aspect you can see as like kind of snapping at each other, most between husband and wife, kind of snapping at each other and like parents snapping their kids for no apparent reason, getting mad at them for no apparent reason or just whatever. Um, that does happen. That does. Sometimes happen. 
and that it has a lot of times provoked by Satan to do in order to kind of create some friction in the family unit. Another another kind of tactic he uses is child or children who are rebelling against parents. When children rebel, that is a horrible thing for parents to go through. And Satan often uses that to really kind of tear apart that, that family unit. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that is, again, this is one of the tactics, tactics he uses to attack, the, to attack the family. Another one is sickness. Now, what I mean by this is that sometimes he uses, not necessarily he causes the sickness, but he uses the sickness to really bring about fear and worry and that you can really weigh down on a family and could sometimes tear it apart, especially in the case of a death. So, again, that is kind of just one of the few reasons, one of the few scenarios that, one, sorry, one of the few tactics that Satan uses to attack the family unit. Now, as for the world, again, of course, the world is controlled by Satan overall, so it, they are correlated but when I talk about the world, I mean the kind of broader, what we actually see in culture. And for the world, I mean, as we see the left, you know, especially, they see the uh, the biblical family as bigoted. The, fa the family unit is bigoted. It is patriarchal. It's destructive. and should be shut down. Family is often useless, according to the world. There's no reason for it in my family. You got a community. A community is better. A village is better than a family. That's why I see so much hatred of like a godly family because the world overall doesn't like it. And also the concept of love is love. This is often the justifier for people engaging in homosexuality behavior and simple, simple behavior. They use that... Um, the phrase love is love. And that unfortunately has done serious damage to the family unit, to the biblical family unit, because if love is love, then what does it matter? Then why should we bound only to a man and woman? But love is not simply love. Because not all love is, is true love. It's not all biblical. True love comes from God. <laughs> That's the true love comes from God, and he's very clear on how that love operates, and he's very clear how people should pursue that love when it comes to romantic relationships. So again, that's just just a few of the tactics the world and Satan uses to really attack the family unit. And and I know this is only just the beginning of kind of the external battles. But this is really one of the more serious battles that Christians face um, in, in the spirit, in the broader spiritual war. That is the attack on the family, on their families, and it can be, be a very scary stuff when that happens. But for Christian men, this is why you need to be on guard in the in the wake of these attacks, and always be ready to protect your family. Always be ready. Because the attacks will constantly come, especially, especially if your entire family is faithful to God. Because it is my opinion that 
once you become a follower of Christ, yes, you do have problems and issues you face as an unbeliever. But as a follower of Christ, I, from what I've seen, those problems and issues actually increase because now there's a stake. There's there's now where am I going with this? Because again, the problems and issues increase because now Satan sees you as a threat and wants to take you down. He sees Christians as a threat. It wants to take him down, so he does all the different attacks, and that includes, especially, the family. And, again, as we've seen in the broader society, the family is constantly other type of the society hates the family, it wants to see it shut down, and even to the very aspects of the government. The government wanted to break up families because they hate the family unit. Because it is a it is a threat to their power, ultimately. And that can be very scary, scary stuff. I mean, when it comes, especially comes with a family, when your family is attacked, it's very easy for one to really want to give up, want to want to kind of throw in the towel. But it's in those moments, in those moments when we feel kind of the most hopeless, the most downtrodden, is that that's when. Really, that's when we should we should be seeking God, seeking His strength, and that's when we should continue to strive forward and continue to persevere, no matter the consequences. To continue to persevere on this mission, on this in this battle, no matter the consequences. And number one thing, also, don't do it alone. Be connected with other families in this battle. Don't be isolated. Isolated. With just your family, because you will be attacked on all fronts, and sometimes you can you can fight off, other times you can't. So that's why it's very important for families, different families, to connect each other, to join in for the Christian men, to join in, lock arms, and go to battle for the families. So again, be on guard, and do not lose hope in these attacks, and don't do it. Alone. Do not do it alone. That's very important. And remember, all this, all this evil we see will be wiped out by God. And will ultimately be all made new. But in the meantime, continue to persevere and continue to do all things for the glory of God. And continue to connect and to connect in fellowship with fellow believers. Because we cannot do this battle alone right here. We just simply cannot do it alone. I wish the ring had never come to me. None of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. 
Go back, Sam! I'm going to Mordor alone. Of course you are! And I'm coming with you! You can't swim! Sam! I made a promise, Mr. Frodo. A promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Oh, Sam. So, um, let's go ahead and continue on, uh, go to the Book of Acts, continue in the Book of Acts. Open it up to it real quick. Alright, so we're going to be continuing in Acts chapter 14. And so, so kind of give you a background on what's been going on. So back in uh, chapter 13, uh, Paul um, began his first missionary journey around kind of, not the whole world, but the kind of the main region right there to spread the gospel to many nations. And so, you know, he has kind of had some ups and downs and kind of been rejected by um, Jews in a synagogue, been accepted by the Gentiles, and sometimes by vice versa. And so, um, in chapter 14, beginning here, we saw that um, they just arrived in Isoiconimium, some other city, and they went to a synagogue to preach the gospel there. Both Jews and um, Gentiles, both Jews and Greeks were there. And, and, and of course, you know, some did believe, and there were some who disbelieved and rejected what Paul was, what Paul was preaching. And the last time we looked off in, uh, chapter, or verse three, so we're going to be continue on with a uh, verse four. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews. Some side, some with the apostles, and when a tent was made by both the Jews and the Gen, but both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, 
And they became aware of it and fled to the cities of like Lycosonia, Lystra, and Derby, and the surrounding region. And they and there they continued to preach the gospel. So we're going to be stopping there. But again, it's very interesting, kind of just going through the Book of Acts and just how just hostile people are to the gospel. I mean. Jesus was not lying when he said the world will hate you because they hated me first. I mean, people hate, hated Jesus, and they hate his followers. And it's very clear from the book of Acts. It's very clear from just looking, looking at society today. And so that's why, as Christians, we should not be caring about what other people think, you know, what you know they say about us, about our beliefs and everything. We should, we should not be caring about that at all. We should be just continuing on speaking the truth boldly with no compromise and continue to persevere regardless of whatever consequences and um kind of <laughs> whatever tax we face in the midst of that so again i just i just want to comment on that because it's just excuse me it's very interesting to see that and it's very interesting to kind of see kind of the same scenario play out a little bit to get how they always first, when they get get into a region, they go to the synagogue, synagogue, synagogue first. Uh, excuse me. A lot of times, especially the rulers in the synagogue, often reject the gospel and dismiss it and just are downright nasty to them. But then the Gentiles are kind of more accepting to it. It's very interesting how, how that works. But, you know, we're to be kind of continuing on in chapter 14 uh, next time. But I think that's all the half of this episode. So I'll be back here um, the next couple of weeks with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is the God of Frame Show. If you enjoy this episode of the God of Frame Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find the show on our podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening and watching, and as always, all glory to be to God. Trouble.